0: Calling all detectives. A set of Shakespeare, a page from a calendar, and five cents. Those are the exhibits on this page from my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. A private detective like me, Jerry Browning, knows that the amount of money involved isn't what determines the importance of a case. I got 15 who'll say 17. Thank you, 17 once... 17 twice, 17 three times, this handsomely bound set of Dickens' works sold for $17. There were two kinds of people at the auction rooms of Clyde and Wilson, bargain hunters and sensation hunters, because the personal effects of the late Bertram Cooper were up for sale. He'd committed suicide, according to the papers, for reasons that were never very clear. And now, friends, I've got up for sale this fine set of it. Just a moment, folks. You, mister... You've been standing up front just watching for the last hour. Did you come in here to buy or get warm? It wasn't until I glanced around that I realized the auctioneer was talking to me. He reached behind him, picked up a small red volume from a table littered with Cooper's books. Here, Chief Skate, i got a buy for you. One book, one nickel. Catch it. I picked the book up off the floor. Okay, businessman, it's a deal. Here, catch the nickel. I pocketed the book pushed my way out through the crowd. I'd attended the auction only because I wasn't satisfied with the newspaper accounts of Cooper's death. Thought maybe I might pick up a few crumbs of information. I took my purchase back to the office and discovered it was a loose-leaf notebook. All the pages were blank. But inserted midway was a torn page from a calendar with notations in handwriting that said, Tuesday, orphan's welfare donation. 2 p.m., Emil, till T.L.R. Wednesday, 11, Blood Bank. 7 p.m., Carlin's Civic League dinner. All these were scrawled notations of appointments Cooper must have made. Nothing remarkable about them, except that they were appointments for days after his death. According to this, Cooper had planned to be very much alive. I bought a book from the estate of a man supposed to have killed himself and found that he had detailed plans for the future. The first notation on Cooper's calendar sheet was about a donation he'd intended to make to the Orphan's Welfare Fund the day after he died. At the orphanage, the director told me, Mr. Cooper's death came as a great shock. Frankly, we were counting heavily on his donation. He'd always been generous. Let me ask you a frank question, sir. Do you suppose he killed himself because he couldn't make good on his promise to you? Certainly not. We never solicit contributions. Mr. Cooper volunteered his. In fact, he called me personally and made the appointment you asked me about. Those do not sound like the actions of a man about to commit suicide. It wasn't hard to figure out the second notation on the calendar sheet. 2 p.m., Emil, T.L.R. Emil was one of the best custom tailors in town. Had his place on the eighth floor of the Foster Building. Mr. Cooper? Oh, mais non, monsieur, positively, no. No appointment with Mr. Cooper for Tuesday last. One suit I made for him. A magnificent cashmere five years ago. I have not seen him since. That wasn't so good. I left Emil's place, made a mental note to check on him after I'd verified Cooper's other appointments. Both other appointments checked out. At the blood bank, I was told Mr. Cooper was a regular donor. His health? Excellent. Nobody in ill health is permitted to give blood. At the Civic League, where Cooper had been supposed to attend a dinner, I learned... Mr. Cooper was scheduled to be the principal speaker at the Collins Civic League dinner. That's why we couldn't understand his sudden, well, death. He was a man who never broke a promise. Cooper had made notations of four appointments for the two days following his supposed suicide. Only the one with Emil, the tailor, failed to check. I took the calendar sheet down to headquarters, brought Lieutenant Dawson up to date on what I'd been doing. Together, we took the sheet of paper into the police lab. The image on the screen is an enlargement of the penciled notation in question. It's been enlarged five diameters. Hey, Dawson, look. Those three letters T-L-R and the name ahead of them, Emil. I don't think they're parts of the same notation. There's a period after Emil. I see that now. So do I, Jerry. Jerry. But if it doesn't refer to emo, what does T L R stand for? It could be the abbreviation for a name that Cooper didn't want to spell out. Okay, so what now? Now we do some checking into Mr. Cooper's background. Way, way background. Cooper checked back easily. Five, ten, twelve years. And that's all. Previous to twelve years ago, he apparently hadn't existed. Which meant he'd had some other name. Maybe I couldn't have bridged the gap myself, but when you're working with the police, you're working with people who don't care how long it takes to dig up a fact. They get paid by the year. We traced it, Jerry. Cooper's name used to be George Endicott. Came from upstate. Endicott, eh? Well, that's a good honest name. Why would a man want to change it? Jerry, why don't you go upstate and find out? I found out. A woman had been dissatisfied with a marriage to a humdrum husband in a small town. She'd left him to marry another man who changed his mind. She killed that man and drew a sentence of life imprisonment. I visited Mrs. George Endicott in the state penitentiary for women. Her first name was E-M-I-L-I-N-E. She didn't know her husband was dead. Didn't even know he'd changed his name. The letters T-L-R meant nothing to her but they meant plenty to me now. They meant that some person whose name could be abbreviated as T-L-R knew about Emmeline and about George Endicott who'd made a new respectable life for himself as Bertram Cooper. We found that person. Lawrence Taylor, spelled T-A-Y-L-O-R. He'd been a court stenographer at Mrs. Endicott's trial. These days he had a more profitable business. Blackmail. The police picked up Taylor, smashed a feeble alibi attempt for the day of the murder, and after a while, he confessed. His bank accounts were the giveaway. He'd blackmailed Cooper for years, until Cooper finally decided to go to the police, accept notoriety rather than blackmail. He made an appointment with Taylor to tell him about that decision, but Taylor anticipated it, came around the evening before, and shot Cooper, made it look like suicide. That's all there was to the case. I got no credit, no fee. In fact, it cost me a nickel. But, like I said, everything's stacked against a killer. And he can forfeit his life because of something no more important than five cents. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives. Mystery drama, mystery quiz, and a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective.